0: I'm obsessed with the Christmas tree. It's It's actually super
1: ugly um, in the back because we got it like three days ago. So it was like the last guy standing. Uh Um,
0: But
1: I wanted to look at the pretty part. And usually people like to put the prettiest part by their window. window. But I just want to look at the pretty part.
0: We, I agree. Uh, yeah, I get that. Because it's like your tree, right? You want to...
1: And nobody's going to be able to see it up close, as long as no the one, lights look pretty. Also, people
0: don't stop at your window to like, look at your tree. You know what I right, mean? And like, I'm on the second
1: floor. They're not going to see anything.
0: You're the one that wants to enjoy it, so you should. Yeah, get your own Merry Christmas, Christmas tree, Yes. Merry Christmas to us. <laughs> Merry Christmas, you family. Happy day. Hanukkah. <laughs> it's Hanukkah tonight, still. It is Hanukkah season. Hanukkah season. Eight nights. Eight, Eight nights. crazy nights. Okay, roll intro. <laughs> this is Throwing Down with Jess and Lily. That makes no sense. sense. You can be funny and not be offensive. The same way this is your workspace, this is my workspace. Too. It's never just sports. It's sports. never just sports. It's, sports. sports. it's never just sports. You'll be a little smarter and we will be a little smarter and it will be great. I was close to being right. You know what's interesting? That if you don't agree with this, then just turn us just turn off. Ooh, all right, on that we're throwing down. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to Throwing Down with Jess and Lily. I'm Lily Caffrey-Levine. And I'm Jess King. And welcome to a very mathematically-based episode of Throwing Down. Big big kind of change of scenery, but also not at all because we're talking about things that we literally always talk about. Um, But just to jump right in, our alma mater, that's the disclaimer here, is that this study was done by our old school, the department that we got our degrees in everything, but um, the Marist College poll, the Marist poll, um, and with the Center for Sports Communication at Marist College, uh, PBS NewsHour and NPR conducted um, a study on how sports fans feel about fans being in attendance at stadiums um, or at sporting events, things like that, how sports fans and just um, the American people view reopening processes for um, professional sports leagues or fans going to professional sports leagues, things like that. So we're gonna talk a little bit about that data um, and then kind of like what it means because there's a lot to look at here. And it's, I think it's a very interesting, like this is a really cool study that they did, a really cool study that they did because it's a very kind of niche thing that plays into a lot of aspects of sports, whether it be like gender, race, politics, viewership, things like that. So just to jump in with some of the data, Um, 56% of sports fans say that people should not be playing indoor team sports, 56% of sports fans say that they are concerned or very concerned that participating in these indoor sports could spread the virus within their communities, 46% of sports fans believe that attending indoor sporting events should not be permitted at all, Um, 36% of fans um, say that they should be allowed but only with restrictions. 58% of fans um, and also 58% of Americans uh, assert that government officials should be allowed to place restrictions on playing indoor team sports. That's basically what that means is like the reopening um, strategies that have been put in place by governors, mayors, things like that. um, That's 56% of sports fans and Americans saying that they should be doing that. They should be putting restrictions on these things rather than just a free-for-all and everyone can make their own decisions, Um, which we've kind of learned recently not to like jump into our opinions too much yet, but like we've kind of learned that like when people are making their own decisions about things that affect other people, they often make the selfish decision. Um, so that's- No surprise there. <laughs> big takeaway from 2020. Um, so that was, they they surveyed people that are sports fans and then people that were also not sports fans. So that's kind of the difference is that when it was 58% of fans and people say that government officials should be allowed to place the restrictions. Um, so some of the other interesting numbers is that 83% of Democrats report that the government should be able to place restrictions on indoor play. 28% of Republicans said that. When independents were surveyed, 61% of them agreed with the Democrats. Um, it also was divided by region. So people in the Northeast are more likely than those in the South to um, support government restrictions. Um, And then as far as gender, um, women are more likely to advocate for the more cautious approach. um, And so were baby boomers and people older than that. So it was 60% of people that were 74 or older, um, which is obviously that some of the most vulnerable people when it comes to COVID, had concerns that indoor team sports played locally will lead to community spread. Um, As far as the data based on race is that non-white residents are more likely than white residents to say that sports should be restricted. And then they also did breakdowns for or asked questions based on college sports as well. Um, So for all adult, all national adults, not just sports fans, 30% believe that there should be no indoor college sports at all. 31% thinks that college football should have been suspended entirely, which is something we've talked a lot about here. 35% 35% don't believe traveling to play against other schools should be permitted. So those were the, that's kind of the takeaways from the data of like what that means. And so basically you see a lot of, um, a, a lot of majorities saying that people are concerned about indoor sports being played or that they don't think they should be playing or that they believe that there's spread because of indoor sport or they're concerned about spread because of indoor sports being played. Um, a large, Not a majority, but still a fair amount of people are kind of okay with sports with restrictions. Um, And then there's obviously the breakdowns by gender, race, political party, location, things like that. Um, So this data kind of tells us a lot about how people are viewing sports. We've obviously shared on this podcast a lot about how we view the reopening of sports. The NBA bubble has kind of been the most successful. The NBA bubble and I think some soccer leagues as well, I'm not 100% sure on it, but as far as I know in the very mainstream ways of seeing it is that the NBA bubble was kind of like the way to do it. The NBA, the WNBA, those were the most successful the NHL. ways. Yeah, the NHL. Those were the most successful ways to have sports. Um, and then as we saw in Major League Baseball and now in the NFL, those are not the ideal ways to do it because they're having a lot of outbreaks because of that.
1: So with that, we have a bunch of seasons starting back up for sports, like we mentioned with the bubble approach that the NBA, WNBA, and the NHL took. Those are two of the top sports, basketball and hockey, that will be coming back after completing their first season, I guess we can say, in the pandemic. Um, this time around, they're actually not going to be doing a bubble. Um, so they're going to be figuring this all out kind of the same way that the NFL is – doing it right now um and the reason that this poll is so relevant right now with the nfl playoffs coming up and the super bowl most importantly um news broke a little while ago in the middle of october i'm saying not recently today that the nfl's plan for the super bowl is that they want to have the super bowl with fans in attendance only at 20 percent capacity um, at Tampa's Raymond James Stadium, usually that holds about sixty-five thousand fans, and because of the temporary seating um, and the way that they plan to space people out, it can the stadium can be moved to actually hold seventy-five thousand people. So their plan for that is by enlarging the stadium and placing fans in pods six feet away, the same way I guess you would see these pods set up in restaurants and outside dining around, um, cities and stuff. They're going to do that and they're going to have to wear masks. Um, and it's pretty weird because like we said, like, I personally don't feel comfortable watching fans at games in real life. I think TV broadcasts do the perfect job for that. Um, And that's why this is so interesting. It's almost like we want the important information in this poll to kind of get out so people um, realize who's on the same page as them and what's going on for sports fans across America. Um, Now, with that all being said, I'm going to change course a little bit to the NBA. And I gathered from from NBA.com a list of – teams in different cities that will actually be holding fans and what their actual capacity is and what they plan on doing to allow fans in their stadium in the slightest bit. So let's start going down that list. Um, So Cleveland Cavaliers They play in Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse with a capacity of about 20,000, a little bit less than 20,000 fans. So, what the NBA knows is that the CAVs revealed their initial health and safety plan um, and includes a state restricted reduced seating limit of 300 fans per game. So, because that says state restricted, we know that they are following what their protocols are based off of their um, local government's protocols. on COVID in general. So this kind of makes me think it's up for change depending on how the um, rate goes up for COVID-infected people in Ohio and Cleveland in general. Mm -hmm. Um, They're going to work closely with state and local officials, yada yada, regarding what they're going to do. No fans are going to be in attendance of the preseason games that are going on right now. And I think that's the same across the board for most NBA teams. Um, The Golden State Warriors have a very interesting case for Chase Center. The whole stadium holds about 18,000 people. Um, They have yet to officially announce their home game plan for attendance, but we know that they really want to have fans at the stadium, and they're going so far um, as to spend $30 million coming up with a plan to have all fans, players, and workers of the stadium, tested on what they deem to be the best COVID testing, COVID-19 testing for each home game the day that fans and employees report to the Chase Center. Um, so they want to do this plan so they can have at least 50% capacity for the upcoming NBA season. Uh, the owner, J- Joe, Joe Leco believes that it's going to be a model for all of the sports franchises across the board, so they kind of want to be the leader in that. Um, Indiana Pacers, they will not have public ticket sales for the beginning of their regular season. However, the team will look forward to having fans back, hopefully by January, Um, and again, preseason won't be played. For the Orlando Magic and Amway Center down in Florida, they said that they will have physically distanced limited capacity of about 4,000 fans in a stadium that usually fits about 1,900 for regular season games. The first five regular season home games are expected to experience a lesser capacity so fans can become accustomed to this new style of watching games played. And the 4,000 fans allowed at for the Orlando Magic is actually the highest number of fans going to be allowed across the board at NBA games, um, and that kind of is interesting taking this new data into consideration. Why because does it not
0: when, surprise me that it's in Florida?
1: That's what I was just gonna say. Like because it's Florida, their state and like local governments are very lax about the coronavirus rules, as we all know. Uh, so this kind of only makes sense and proves the point of how the NBA is following state orders uh it's a little weird 4,000 people all in one stadium like doesn't that never
0: freak you out (laughs) um yeah so it's interesting mentioning talking about the super bowl they that was like one of the areas that they focused on in the study um saying that when it came to the super bowl that's obviously the biggest in-person sporting event coming up Um, something that's more nationwide than other sporting events. So when it came to the Super Bowl, 49% of sports fans said that fans should not be allowed in the stadium, 34% that fans should be allowed, but only with restrictions. So that's like nearly half saying that we shouldn't have fans at the Super Bowl. Um, It was both 49% for um, just overall. And then also for sports fans. So it's, it's even on that case, but I also think that that that's not surprising to me because the Super Bowl is something that it's, Um, widely watched by people that are sports fans and not sports fans and so that's nearly half the people like half the people are saying you shouldn't have fans at the um, at the Super Bowl and like you just said about how you feel kind of weird seeing fans there like it's a very surreal thing of like what as in my experience at least so much of like how we see COVID is like these super spreader events and that's how these really bad outbreaks can happen whether it be a large event that one person is sick at or a few people get sick and then go out into the world um, and spread it to other people. But like I had, it was very surreal last night and I tweeted about this, but um, after Lamar Jackson, he, who tested positive for COVID a couple weeks ago and he was not one of like the asymptomatic carriers. He said that he was kind of laid up in bed for 10 days like sick and mm-hmm. to watch him playing in a game where, or to watch a game where what the, star quarterback of the game tested positive for COVID and was sick from it because I I think people take the asymptomatic thing and I think get a little too comfortable with that sometimes but to watch a game where the star quarterback had COVID and had symptoms and to see all these fans in the stands um, a lot of whom were not wearing masks they just weren't a lot of a lot of them weren't wearing masks and um, and I just think I'm like weirdly I think the thought I had was like how disrespectful to like go to this game where athletes are testing positive for COVID and first of all just to have fans there and then not take any of the precautions seriously is just like that's really a surreal thing to see it's honestly it's not even surreal I expected at this point just because of how not seriously people are taking this um I mean, even these
1: numbers are something that's, like, kind of shocking for me. I mean, there's also the Utah Jazz. They're allowing um, a capacity of about 1,500 people in the stands. But besides that point, reading all these numbers, specifically with the Super Bowl, saying it's going to be at – 20% capacity. And as somebody who's living in New York right now, a state that's kind of been taking every single precaution necessary to stop the spread of coronavirus, and as I'm sure they're doing up in Massachusetts and a lot of other northeastern uh, cities and states, it's weird because I am relying on bartending and working in the service industry as an income after we graduated um, due to a lack of job availability in our market right now. And I mean, I believe that it's necessary to cut down um, our capacity limits. Right now we're at 50% for inside on Long Island and everywhere in the city actually just got um, the inside booted and now they have to have outdoor dining only and a lot of restaurants are going to these extremes to make it work for them and paying out of pocket. But here we have an event like the Super Bowl, and that's a national thing, Um, something that people will travel to Florida, nonetheless, to watch if they can score tickets to it and be a lucky member to be in that 20% capacity. And I mean, I just think it's so strange that people who are trying to work for a living um, are dealing and making these sacrifices because they know that this is what's going to help our nation stop and beat coronavirus. But then we have this huge national organization, like the National Football League, who just kind of gets this pass to have 20%. And I'm very interested in to find out like the correlation between how the Florida government is handling it and the reason that it this Super Bowl just so happens to be in the state with the most lax rules during a global pandemic, that they're getting away with 20%. Let's say it was in New York. That Super Bowl probably wouldn't be allowed to have any play, uh, fans in the stadium. And that's because that's just what the state authorities are going to go off of. And that's their COVID protocol. So like, it's really, um, I guess, for the financial aspect of the NFL, very convenient for them that... The Super Bowl ended up being in Florida this year, um, the only year we hope that they played in a global pandemic, I, and rather than in one of the more strict states where they wouldn't be allowed to have any fans and would lose all the money that they're making off of fans at that game. Because 20% capacity at the Super Bowl, goddamn, I want to know how much those tickets are selling for.
0: Well, and I mean, the thing you like you mentioned of just like the – how it kind of works out for the NFL that the Super Bowl is in a state that has not been very serious about restrictions. Like, I mean, I don't have the hard data on it, but like states and counties where there are mask mask mandates have fewer COVID cases. They see COVID cases go down. Cities and or counties and states that don't have them see COVID cases constantly rising. And I just don't think it's like, it's not, it's not a complicated thing to see that Uh, taking precautions, how that works versus not taking precautions. Like it's a very obvious thing and we've kind of been doing this for months now, but um, there is a lot that goes into the data that I think tells us a lot about like how fans are viewing it, which as we know from ratings is, it's really all about how the fans view it. They don't have, if if people aren't going to watch it, they can't do anything. There's their power. Not, I don't want to say powerless without fans, but leagues need fans to watch games. That's how they get their revenue. That's how they get their income. And so I think you talking about how or you listing all those places that are having fans in or in limited capacities or not limited or not not limited capacities or whatever. Um, It's interesting to see that because of how kind of how we see the majority or close to majority of people in favor of precautions when it comes to sports, whether it be there being no fans at all or there being fans with restrictions. So it's, I think that's like where the next step in something like this is, is looking at how does what the fans view as important match up with what leagues and teams are doing. And I think that we've noticed that like more in recent history, whether it be with something like protests of, are people going to stop watching games because of the protests? I mean, people do stop watching games because of um, kneeling during the national Anthem. But it's not the people that they need for their demographic. It's not the demographics that they need for their viewership. And so it's kind of like an unaffected thing. But when this is such a vast majority of people, um, and the Marist poll did a study a a little while back that showed that people are watching sports less since the pandemic started. And so it's kind of interesting to see how these things both do and don't match up. Where people are watching sports less, not necessarily because of protests but because of the pandemic and things like this and so when it's something that the viewership is so important if sports fans are really in this place where they're like this isn't a good idea is that going to affect their viewership and then is that going to affect how leagues decide to reopen whether it be the NBA bubble was awesome and people loved that not just because it was I think it was easier in people's conscience to not to be watching something when you didn't think the athletes were at much of a risk at as much of a risk i am just like tripping all over my words today um and also the fact that the bubble added some really fun things like the playing game and stuff like that so i mean i think it'll be a interesting to see if any of that changes them playing in a regular format and not in a bubble um and then also seeing the correlations between viewership in the next year um as we kind of return to like what i think sports are viewing as like a new normal of like everyone's gonna be wearing a mask and there's gonna be limited capacity at stadiums um and it's normal I guess to them because it's not in a bubble but it's still being played with these precautions so like how is that going to affect viewership and then how are teams and leagues going to respond based on that
1: yeah and I mean this is a very interesting quote that um I'm going to pull from an ESPN article talking about the Super Bowl allowing fans um, at the stadium. So, quote, during the regular season, the NFL has left attendance decisions to home teams in conjunction with state and local authorities. Half of the league's teams have paid attendance for at least one game. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have hosted an average of 10,961 fans at two home games. So that's probably – if we're going to split that down the middle, which I'm not sure uh, how many fans came from each of those two games, but that's probably about 5,000-something fans um, at each game, which, as we said, the highest amount so far that's gone on for NBA teams potentially in this upcoming season to start in a couple
0: of weeks um, is only 4,000. Um, so another, like, so we're talking about, as we're talking about like the viewership and demographics and who watches sports and why do, why do leagues and teams need those people to watch sports? Um, there's a few interesting things found in this study that go into that a little bit. So as far as gender goes, um, men versus women in how people were surveyed, um, in every category for every question. So whether it be, um, they should, they should, but with restrictions or should not, women always were more likely to be on the side of taking precautions. There was only one exception for this, which was the question, do you think fans attending the Super Bowl should be allowed, should be allowed, but only with restrictions or should not be allowed. Um, and 30% of men said that they should be allowed with restrictions and 29% of women said that. So that was the only category and scenario in which women were less likely than men to be, to err on the side of caution in the question. So, what does this tell us? That women are more in favor of the precautions in sports, of their not being fans at games, of them being concerned about um, spread within their communities. And this is interesting because, as we know, everything's connected. Um, there's also been, this has, is very well-known information now, but um, countries that are led by women are doing better with COVID. And that's like a pretty general way to look at it but um, there was kind of like a graphic circulating around on Instagram and USA Today looked at it and it listed um, a, few, a bunch of countries that were led by men in a bunch of countries led by women and they um, showed the like average number of deaths per 1 million people. So in the countries listed, the average deaths per 1 million people were 440.75. Is that for
1: men or women?
0: For countries led by men, not all, but the countries that were looked at in this graphic, um, which I don't have um, in front of me. But in the countries that were led by women, the average number of deaths per 1 million people was 50.75. So there is like almost a 400 person difference in that average. Um, And so when we say like how women are, how women like countries are doing better with handling coronavirus, that's kind of where that data and where that claim comes from. Um, This USA USA Today article that I looked at also looked into the fact, basically it said, that's what's happening, but it might not be as simple as that, Um, which is fair because there's so many things that go into that. Um, And then, so there was a line from the USA Today article that said, the fact that a woman was elected to lead may indicate that a country is more open to diverse ideas. So, That's, I think, a really big, like, signal in the same direction of, like, is it women take COVID more seriously, or is it countries that elect women are more open to changing ideas and changing ways of life and things like that? I think it can be both. I think both can be true. Um... Because it's super I,
1: interesting, like yeah. the way that we circle all of this back. And I mean, I was just thinking about this as we were recording this. Like, the point of this podcast is you guys know, if you manage to listen through all of us, I know what all you're of the say. speaking that we do. I know what we you're We say it's never just sports. And that's kind of the first thing that Lily and I wanted to address when making this podcast was that mm-hmm. we strongly yeah. believe that. Everything that goes on in societies around the world can be reflected through and with sports. And this, the way that every team and organization um, and league is handling this is also crazy. And the fact that we can then compare a poll done by our Northeastern College in New York State um, compares to the leadership around the globe and how everyone is handling different ways of handling. Coronavirus is just the perfect demonstration of what the point we're trying to get across. Exactly.
0: Is. Um, and I think something that's really interesting, I mean, obvi- it's, a, it's an interesting thing to look at the way that um, this correlation between in this study of should fans be at sports games, it was found for the most part that women were always on the side of taking more precautions and being safer about it. And also women-led countries are doing better with han- their handling of the COVID-19 pandemic. But what this also, I think the other important part of this, as far as the study goes, is that what this shows is that women are such a key demographic um, to sports leagues now um, because viewership in women's sports has been going up and you need women to watch sports too. You can't just have men watching sports. And is it something that like, is this going to, and again, talking about what we were talking about before, we're like, it'll be interesting to see are leagues or networks going to make any changes to appeal more to women in the way that they view COVID-19. I don't know. Right. Um, go women for like taking this shit seriously. Not that men yeah. don't, but.
1: Another. Um, take this shit seriously. Um, well, a correlation I want to make really briefly before mm-hmm. we switch topics. Cause you just mentioned it. Um, is like the relationship that fans have with the sports leagues that they follow and that they watch and support. I mean, if, All of these fans, like we said, almost half of of sports fans are thinking that there should be better restrictions if not no fans allowed at stadiums. And it's similar to the way that I viewed everything that goes down in the NFL in terms of domestic abuse, sexual harassment, and things like that. I know that when I'm watching TV in my house and I'm watching the Tampa Bay Buccaneers come on my TV, and to be honest with you, just my opinion. I don't want to watch Antonio Brown play football. It's not something that I support, so I don't want to watch it. So I changed the channel. And I'm wondering at what point do we get to um, as we go into the winter and cases start to rise um, in the middle of January as science predicts that they will. And as we know on this podcast, science is right. Um, we believe in
0: science here if you Sometimes don't.
1: it's wrong, but most of the times it's right. It's a science. I mean, science people saying the world was flat way back when, wrong. Yeah, but we learned. We kind of got we the were. hang of it now.
0: I mean, there's a thing like, I mean, I, I think I, not to be like, make a, not to validate your flat earth comment, but I think <laughs> that's a really interesting point. People thought the earth was flat because we didn't have any other information to say otherwise at the time. That's what people believe. I think a similar thing can be said about COVID 19. When people say, well, they said this back in March, let's keep in mind that this is a virus that is one year old. So, the like things changing, what or what we know about it changing is a natural thing to be to happen. Like, we thought one thing about it in March, and we've since learned that that was true or wasn't true or whatever. So, I think that's a little bit into that open mindedness of like being open to how we might have to change precautions or restrictions based on what we learned about the virus. And that was a big thing when they learned that like being outdoors was much safer than being indoors. And then indoor di- or outdoor dining blew up in the country. Things like that.
1: Not right. again not to sp-
0: validate your flat earth
1: <laughs> But like again, like the whole thing is that sports fans I feel like have a really good grasp if you've been following especially between the MLB and the NFL's past seasons during COVID-19. Um, I just tripped over my words, too. But anyway, they kind of see how much of a mess that when you take traveling into play, the indoor, the closeness of these um, contact sports, how much it can really, the case... Rising can get away from you and there is no stopping it. You obviously can't do much about it besides wearing masks and following rules. Mm -hmm. But when you're just in that close proximity, I think that's why sports fans kind of have um, a very good understanding of the risks that are being taken to play sports right now. And I think that's super important to remember are the risks being taken to watch professional sports
0: well so that's that's like I mean I think there's kind of like two points I want to make to that the first being that you mentioned your relationship and also I happen to have the same one with you don't want to watch Antonio Brown because it's not something you support the question I guess would be does it get to a point where people are not so unsupportive of the reopening or having fans or whatever that they're going to stop watching that's a huge topic we talk about a lot it's kind of the subject of this book that I really want to read loving sports When they don't love you back by Kavitha Davidson and Jessica Luther. Um, if my parents are listening to this and you want to get it to me for, for me for Christmas, I would be unopposed. Um, (laughs) but like, that's a big thing of like, at what is your line? We talk about this all the time. We did a thesis project on it. What is your line to like, I will no longer support this. And I think we talk about like, I think it's, Difficult to say, like, having fans is something that I don't support there. I think it's more so, it's not the having fans, but it's what having fans means in that there's not as much of a grasp of how seriously this needs to be taken. And then, so this is the second point I want to make of going into the data breakdown by race is that, like I said Non-white residents are more likely than white residents to say that, college sport, to say that sports should be restricted. Um, Jane McManus, the director of the Center for Sports Communication at Marist College and just an overall spectacular person, she said in the press release um, about the study that the responses of people of color also reflect the outsized effect the virus has had on their communities. So um, if a lot of the data shows that people of color are at a higher risk than white people in this virus and so with that a lot of sports fan, a lot of um, athletes in the NBA in college basketball and college football in the NFL um, are people of color and that goes into this other thing that we talk about a lot see it's really all connected of like um, people in power making these decisions that athletes then kind of feel like they have to go along with whether it be for a scholarship or for a paycheck or for their livelihood or whatever it be and then Another thing to add to this is the rate of mitocarditis that's being found in athletes. Um, And so something, not that athletes are necessarily at a higher risk of catching it, but seeing the severe long-term effects that this has had on athletes, does that change things for people? And that's all going into this of like, when people of color have seen it affect their communities harsher than white people have, um, and then a majority of football players or NBA players being African-American for both professional leagues and in college, that kind of really makes you look at the data in a different way of like, people are scared, I think naturally. And like, you don't want this to see, you don't want to see this affect your communities. And there is a huge disparity in the people that are deciding to play and the people that are being put at risk by playing. And sports fans are noticing that. That is very clear in the data and like how sports fans are noticing that. Um, and I think that that's a huge aspect of what we talked about that with college football, where there's white athletic directors, there's white deans making decisions that students of color don't feel like they can pass up on or don't feel like they're in the position to be saying no to. Um, and that just goes further into the disparity of like white coaches do not proportion or disproportionately represent the number of white athletes they have and vice versa. So, It's all like a super complicated and sad issue because there's so many aspects of it that are really putting people at risk. And I think that that's the whole thing of like, at what point, going back to like my original point of like, at what point are you like, I can't deal with this anymore. I think for a lot of people that it's possible that that could be not the having the fans there, but like athletes having long-term health effects, seeing um young black athletes being put in these dangerous situations because colleges are deciding to play when they really shouldn't be um they're not mm-hmm. taking proper precautions and no one on the there's so many people on the field not wearing a mask and the, the fact of the matter is all it takes all it takes is one person not wearing a mask like that's what it takes and so i think and that
1: we know that well from the Chicago bears situation oh no the denver Broncos situation
0: yes exactly With their quarterbacks is Um, the perfect way to prove that. So I think Um, there's a lot that goes into all of that with how it affects communities of color more than it affects white people. Um, How those communities are reflected in professional and college sports and then how people are viewing that. And if that's aligned for people, I think that that's something that people need to be aware of. I think that's something that people are kind of like beginning to piece together in the like, oh, this is really bad because athletes are getting really sick, especially in the NFL when there's so, so much spread all the time. Um, of like, oh, these athletes might be, their careers might be over because of this. Um, yeah. And is it worth it to like be supporting this thing or to be watching this thing? And
1: in conclusion to all of this that we're being uh, shooting out all of these numbers at you guys, uh, we, I would like to post a link to this poll and the release of Mm -hmm. the data and statistics that we kind of all listed off for you guys, which we'll put in our, probably our YouTube bio to the rest of this episode. Um, yeah, if you,
0: we can read numbers as, but I get as much as we want, but I get that that's boring. So like Jess said, um, we're going to link it. Check it out. Yeah. It's very interesting, and do we'll your- post it
1: on our social media. Have you guys check it out? I mean, the Marist poll is a great source to have for anyone who is interested in the studies that they do. They're very interesting. Like we previously um, mentioned earlier on the podcast, they did a poll not so long ago about the relationship between sports fans and viewership, and why are people not watching that much that much sport anymore, um, and a bunch of interesting things that come from the Maris Center for Sports Communication.
0: This is not an ad, by the way. They this is not, not an ad. Did, I we're just in they, love with it. Um, and they're any, very
1: smart people.
0: Very, very smart. A lot of great work went into this. And it's something, honestly, that I wouldn't have really thought of. Like, I think it's, like I said at the beginning, it's a very niche thing. That, it's a very niche set of questions that is very reflective of the whole. Um, yep. And like just said, with um, how we're really all about, it's never just sports here, but like the political parties being a huge disparity of 83% of Democrats saying that the government should place restrictions on indoor players should be able to, and only 28% of Republicans thinking that. um, I think that that's something that's very relevant, especially when you look at how the Trump administration, their stance on the virus, they were very pro opening sports from the beginning, um, when I think some of the, some of the Democratic leadership was not in favor of that or in favor of doing it with restrictions so it really is never just sports and that's why um, another great quote from jane mcmanus on that is that the myth and this really ties into like what we're all about the myth of sports is that politics and sports don't mix when really politics and sports are mixing all the time that's what we're seeing in this poll the politics of the coronavirus are being waged in the sports world as well um and i think that what that's what do a, you know i think that's a great note to close this conversation on thank you jane yeah. Any final thoughts on this, Jess?
1: No, but I think we're ready to switch gears into something a little bit more lighthearted that I would like to think our fans look forward to. Tweets of the
0: week. Let's do it. You sound excited. It makes me think you have a good one. I am.
1: And it kind of goes with my theme that I'll be doing here for the next, I guess, two weeks for Christmas, except I never want to take my Christmas tree down. I just love the way. Oh,
0: I'm pro like... Fo- like drag my heels into the ground for as long as possible to keep it as up. long like, as possible day, patty's day is when i'm ready to like fully switch <laughs> over i Take also, down all the lights i love valentine's day that is like the most unpo- of all my unpopular opinions that is the most unpopular opinion i have that wow. i love valentine's day just because i love love and i like holidays like and i just like having a reason to celebrate and like dressing up but you're just shaking your head at me and I, I get it I, I, I can't know, do, I do it do
1: I can't but do it I'm, this year
0: I just like, like I'm also like I'm the fun aunt I'm the perpetually single friend and I love Valentine's Day. I'm just like let's eat because I mean I don't know I guess I associated a lot with like baked goods and I'm like oh fuck yeah like a cake and like yeah out. like let's have cookies tell and each other and
1: we love you <laughs> everyone
0: always has chocolate there's like cookies and like cupcakes and whatever which is like so fun um, and then just like I wear a pink sweater, and it's a great day. I drink some wine. I always end up. That's the other thing. I always end up hanging out with like my girlfriends, and we do like Valentine's Day. Right, and that's
1: totally fun. I had the. I just have the worst Valentine's Day
0: experiences. <laughs> hey, dates. It's enough.
1: like I should write a book about a hundred terrible Valentine's Day dates.
0: That's. Um, I would totally read that.
1: <laughs> so my tweet. Um, we obviously got a little off course. So this tweet was hilarious. Do you think Jesus knew he was born during Toyota-thon?
0: Oh, my gosh. It took because, me a like, second Because, to- like, all you read about no, during Christmas
1: time is car specials, and it's, like, it's almost like I always preach that we've all forgot the true meaning of Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, and every time I see car commercials, that just proves my point, and this tweet just spoke to me on a spiritual level.
0: That was really funny. I like that. Um, I have two... Really, really short ones. One of them was from Phoebe Bridgers, um, the artist. And it's, you can't be a podcaster unless your favorite band is the Mountain Goats. Um, And now I just want to note to that, that I don't know what the context of that tweet is, but I had never heard of the Mountain Goats until this year. They have this song called This Year that I fell in love with during quarantine. So I listened to it all the time. So it was really funny to me that in the same year that I discovered the Mount Goats, I started a podcast with you. Hey, as long as you watch, listen to them, we're all square. And then, and no, we're good. We're good. And then you British cheeses I thought it was really funny. My second one, this is more of the real one. I'm sure everyone has seen this. Oh, I have a third one. Fuck. Okay. I'm going to give this one first. Quarantine taught me that you don't need fun to have alcohol. That doesn't need any explaining. That's just a general overall statement we can make about the past 10 months. Um, And then this one this is in reference to the Wall Street Journal article that had a bunch of fucking bullshit about how Jill Biden's not really a doctor because she's a PhD in education, which is absolutely a doctor. You don't have to be an MD to be a doctor. but he wrote a whole op-ed about it. Basically, if she was a man, that never would have gotten published. But um, someone tweeted, and this is my positive tweet of the week to end this segment on. Apply for the job, opportunity, etc. Go for it. That white man got to publish YouTube comments in the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> and I just loved that because we all know how uh, YouTube and Instagram comments can be. So this has been a very numbers-based episode of Thrown Down. All of the data we got is from Like we said before, all of the data we had from this episode was from the NPR PBS NewsHour Marist poll with the Marist Marist College Center for Sports Communication. Um, So thank you to them for doing this awesome study. Um, And I think we learned today more than ever that
1: it's never just
0: sports. And we will see you next time. Um, Read about the study. It's super awesome. Have a good one. We will see you next week.